Welcome once again to a Pain in the Glass podcast. This is Bill Shearhart, National Coach with Curling Canada, coming to you from Sydney, British Columbia, on the ancestral land of the Wassenich First Nation. A Pain in the Glass podcast is sponsored by Canada Curling Stone of Kamoka, Ontario. Today's episode is about performance, not about wins and losses, because you cannot control wins and losses. But you can control, or at least heavily influence, your performance. And putting wins and losses in their proper place, I think in sports, is very important. If you want to listen to an excellent episode in the series, A Pain in the Glass podcast, go to Pat B. Reed's episode, Dealing with two imposters, and the imposters to which she refers, of course, is wins and losses. But we're talking about performance, and that should be the measuring stick for every time you, as an individual athlete, or you, as a part of a team, should measure the success or failure of what you have just accomplished or didn't accomplish. More than just a few years ago, Jim Wade and I put together something that we called the performance equation. It was just us kind of spitballing about performance. And this is what we came up with. Well, performance equals. Well, certainly the first factor is skill level. No question about it. Skill level, an appropriate level of skills, individual and team, is needed to get you in the competitive door. But as you learn, that's all it does. After biomechanics are learned and mastered, the degree to which they promote performance is largely governed by the athlete's attitude. You can never leave your skills at home. The next factor is experience. There is perhaps no sport on the planet for which experience plays such a huge role in determining performance, i.e. success or failure. But here's what I like about experience. Experience doesn't eliminate errors, but it reduces and sometimes completely negates their negative effect on performance. Ah, Let me repeat that. Experience doesn't eliminate errors, but it reduces and sometimes completely negates their negative effect on performance. The next factor in our equation is confidence. Well, what is confidence? A lot of people say it's something that's absolutely necessary. So, well, what is it? Well, you know, we we understand no excellent performance can happen without it. I don't think there's much pushback on that. But here's the interesting part. So how would you answer this? Are you confident because you're playing well? Or are you playing well because you're confident? Every athlete needs to identify where confidence resides for him or her. And it's going to be different Confidence is more about the degree of trust you have in your skills than anything else. And boy, there's the T word. And I must confess, 
I do not use the word confidence very much, or confident, the, the adjective. But I do say the word trust a lot. And so I'm going to throw this out there to you, and I want you to hit pause after I ask you this. On a scale of 1 to 10, right now, how much do you trust your skills? Basically, in curling, how much do you trust that curling delivery, your signature skill? On a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you trust it? So, Please hit pause right now and think about that. What number would you give? Well, if you gave the number somewhere between one and nine, what what you really did was not indicate the degree of trust that you have in your skills. You evaluated your curling delivery, but that's not what I asked you. I asked you how much you trusted it. You see, evaluation is analog. It might be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or nine, but not trust. Trust is digital. You either trust your skills or you don't. And again, we're talking about specifically your delivery. And trust is an attitude. Now, I know if you're just starting out in this game and you're still learning the curling delivery, You might say, well, you know, right now I don't really trust it very much. Well, when you go out to play your next game, that's all you've got, that particular stage of development. So back to it being digital. You either trust your delivery, the skill of delivering the curling rock, or you don't. You may evaluate it as a three, four, five, or six, but remember, it's a it's a it's a choice. It, it should be a 10, because if it isn't a 10, it's a 1, or perhaps even a 0. So there's the first three factors in our performance equation. Performance is skill level, plus experience, plus confidence. And now we come to the big killer of performance, and really sort of the heart and soul of this episode because it's the first minus. So again, performance is skill level plus experience plus confidence minus D. And what do you think D might mean? Well, those who have heard me in a camp or a clinic setting know exactly what D is. It's distractions. And I'm going to say more about distractions a little bit later in this episode, because that's the huge killer of performance. Remember, we've already determined you can never leave your skills at home, but there is so much you can leave at home. And probably the biggest problem in sports, not just curling, but all sports, is that when we perform not up to our expectations, we're so quick to think, well, I must be doing something wrong. And what we're really saying, therefore, is I must be doing something wrong technically. So you go to a teammate or you go to a coach and that's what you say. What am I doing wrong? Well, chances are you're not doing anything wrong. The problem is not on the ice surface or on the court or on the field or whatever the playing venue happens to be. The problem is behind a pane in the glass in our sport. It's, it's, some, it's on the warm side of the glass. And as I said, we're going to come back to distractions. 
Next in our equation, and it's not a plus or a minus because it could be either one, plus or minus team dynamics. And oh, not only could I do an episode on team dynamics, and I certainly will, but I could do more than one episode. So again, plus or minus team dynamics. So here's what we've got so far. Performance is skill level, plus experience, plus confidence, minus distractions, plus or minus team dynamics. Then we come to another plus or minus. Plus or minus physical fitness and nutrition. And again, we'll do more episodes on physical fitness and nutrition. But you can see where it could be a plus or it could be a minus. And then we come to another plus or minus. Plus or minus L. Well, plus or minus luck. And sometimes the curling gods just look down upon you and good fortune is, is coming your way. But you have to know how to deal with bad luck, adversity. And again, more about that in another episode. And the last item in our performance equation, and again, thank my friend Jim Waite for working with me on this, and you've already heard it. It's your attitude. Your attitude is always a choice. So here it is in its entirety, the performance equation. The performance equation is skill level plus experience plus confidence think trust, minus distractions, plus or minus team dynamics, plus or minus physical fitness and nutrition, plus or minus luck or good fortune, and then a huge plus at the end, plus attitude. But today I want to focus on the first negative in that equation, distractions, the big killer of performance. And any experienced athlete will tell you that that is a learned skill to be able to shut out distractions. And and what is the source of distractions? Well, you know, you could grab a sheet of paper and make quite a list of of distractions. You know, it could be the travel, it could be the accommodation, it could be the food, it could be the the rules, the officials, the equipment, and da-da-da-da, blah-blah-blah. But here's the most interesting point. The killer of performance, as we said, is distractions. And here's what I say. Most of the distractions that negatively impact on the performance of a team come from, well, it's none of those places that I've already enunciated. Most of the distractions that negatively impact on the performance of a team come from within the team itself. Most of the distractions that negatively impact on the performance of a team come from within the team itself. Now, how can that be? How, how, can, how can a team distract itself? Well, it, it, not only does it, can it happen very easily, it happens all the time. The problem is teams don't know how to communicate. And one of the longest titles of an article that I've written, who to say, how to say, where to say, why to say, when to say. No, I know I said that very quickly. Who says what to whom, where, why, how, and when. 
Because you can be the right person to deliver the right message to the right teammate in the right way for the right reason at the right time, but you did it in the wrong place. And all, all the other W's could be, you know, those boxes could be checked off, but you mess up on any one of them, any one of those five, and you have created a distraction. And you've done it quite unintentionally. But how do you avoid that? How do you avoid those distractions? Well, you create one of the most valuable tools in your team toolbox, you create a communication protocol. You literally sit down on the warm side of the glass with your teammates and you darn well decide in the context of a game, who says what, to whom, where, why, how, and when. And you have to go player by player and talk about that player and his or her other three teammates and it's, it's a very simple exercise, but it can take a while. And you might discover that something that you've been saying to a teammate repeatedly for an extended period of time, and because you're sitting down across from one another, you know, off ice, behind that pane in the glass, the warm side of the glass, and for the first time, the teammate turns to you and says, you know, that, that always bothers me. I really appreciate what you're saying, why you're saying it, how you're saying it, where you're saying it, but you, oh, you say it to me at the wrong time, and it creates a distraction. Then, of course, your reaction is, well, why didn't you tell me that? Well, it's because you didn't have a communication protocol. It's, again, I know I'm repeating myself, it's one of the most valuable tools that your team will have in the toolbox. Because we hear so often when teams are either performing well, now we're back to performance again, or not performing well, and we hear the C word, you know, communication. Like some teams communicate extremely effectively, and others communicate very ineffectively. And you know, it, it could be before the game, it could be during an end, it can be during a shot. And let's talk about communication during a shot. Everybody's involved in a curling shot. And when that person who is, you know, calling the shot, the, the, the third, the vice, the mate, the skip, whoever it happens to be, okay, they start the ball rolling but then the person who is about to deliver the rock has got some involvement in, you know, confirming or altering that particular call. But it's when the rock is released and now the communication begins. And it begins with the person who just delivered the rock. You know, he, he or she might say, that feels pretty good, looks pretty good, line's great, or, you know, whatever it might be. And then the real communication starts as the two brushers using, you know, their judgment or perhaps a little bit of empirical evidence, i.e., you know, timing. And just a side note, for those people out there who think that timing rocks is a little bit uh, passe, let's say, 
well, gee, you know, when I watch those elite teams on television, I see most of them with those devices dangling from their waist. What are those things? Oh, stopwatches. Well, I wonder if it's just, you know, for the time of day. Well, I'm being a little facetious here. No, they time rocks all the time. It's the first indicator that the ice is possibly changing. So that flow of communication down the ice, because the skip now has to call line. And the skip is going to assume that the weight that he or she asked for is the weight that's been delivered. And so who's going to give that information? Well, certainly the person who just delivered the rock, but especially the brushers who are going to continually update the velocity as the the rock approaches the target. So we see how important communication is. Now I'm going to go back to it again. And I'll throw this out as a rhetorical question. Does your team have a communication protocol? Have you sat down and talked about who says what to whom, where, why, how, and when? And here's the most important part. Have you actually written it down? And of course, that's going to change. It's a very vibrant document. That document is alive because perhaps things, things change for a variety of reasons. So if you want to kill distractions, remember, start with the distractions that come from within the team itself. Now, here's another good activity for you. When you're off to an event, a bond spiel or a play down or something of that nature, here's what I suggest you do. Everybody grab a sheet of paper, an eight by, by uh, eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, draw a big circle. And inside the circle, Put all of the aspects of the competition over which your team has either complete control or a good deal of influence. And then on the outside of the circle, put down all of the aspects of the competition for which you have almost no control. Well, why would you do that? Because it's the, it's the proficiency of communication. When you agree about all those things that are outside the circle, the things you can't control anyway, why would you even talk about them? If they do become significant, well, that's why you have a certified coach. The only things that we're going to talk about are those things that are inside the circle. And that's going to change from player to player and team to team. So that's a really good activity. Again, big circle inside all those aspects of the event over which you have a good deal of control or complete control, and outside the circle, all those aspects of the uh, event over which you have no control. Now, I want to leave you with this, and this is going to be one of the the shorter episodes of late, And and it's back to wins and losses. And again, people who have been with me in clinics and camps have heard this before, and I call it the baseball analogy, because it really does affect communication as well. And here's how it goes. A Major League Baseball team plays 162 regular season games, 162. Well, I can go to the very best team at the beginning of the season, whoever that might be, And I can say to that team, despite your skill and experience and all those aspects that make you the best team in Major League Baseball, or at least in your league, I've got breaking news for you. Despite all of that, you're going to lose a minimum, a minimum of 50 games. 
Then I can go to the very worst team in baseball and, you know, due to their lack of skill, lack of experience, or whatever other factors would make them, you know, the worst team in baseball, well, I can go to them and say, hey, guess what? You're going to I'll guarantee you're going to win a minimum of 50 games, for sure. I don't like to say almost without trying because, of course, that wouldn't be accurate, but you get the idea. So what I'm trying to say here is that of those 162 games, 50 of them, you're, you're just going to win. And maybe it is because the baseball gods have smiled on you. Or you're going to lose 50 games because, well, that's just the way it works. I mean, that's a lot of games and you're playing against really good teams. So, so we'll assume it's exactly 50 of each. So now your season comes down to 62 games and how you perform in those 62 games. So my point here is this. There's no sense talking about a game if it's one of the 50s. And so when you come off the field, and, and you, and, or off the ice in our case, and you sit down to talk about you know, what happened, if you darn well know it was one of the 50s, well, forget it. Identify it as one of the 50s, and move on. But if it's one of the 62, then make sure you find out why you won. Because curling teams generally don't have a very good track record in identifying why they won. Because you don't want to lose that. So when you win, make sure you that you identify why you won. And if you lose, don't lose the lesson. So... That's the baseball analogy, 50, 50, and 62. And of course, the baseball analogy, again, relates back to communication. Okay, there's some things to talk about, there's some things not to talk about, and you have to be able to tell the difference. And again, if you're a younger team, that's why you have a certified coach. So there's the big killer of performance and the big killer of performance is distractions. And to be able to mitigate distractions or ignore distractions is a real benefit. You remember, it's not about skills. Don't be so quick to blame your skills if you don't perform well. That should be at the bottom of the grocery list. There's all sorts of other things. I mean, it can be your attitude. It can be lack of performance. It can be a lack of trust. It can be a, la a lack of uh, lots of other things. So many of them are conscious decisions that you make, and you make sure you make really good decisions. Before I leave you today, I have one more thought about communication. And this one, I think, is going to surprise you because it's the communication that you and your teammates have with your opposition. And I'm not talking about speaking to the members of the other team, although that could be interesting. I'm talking about the message that you send to the other team as the game progresses. Um, I'm old school here. I'm old, and I'll explain what I mean by old school. I'm very cognizant of the message that I'm sending to the opposition, whether I'm playing or whether I'm coaching, and the message that my team is sending. Because when things happen during the game, perhaps there's a bit of adversity that befalls your team, 
or some good fortune or, you know, a great play, great shot. The other team is watching you. And the last thing that you want to do is give your opposition any extra incentive. Now, here's my reference to old school. I remember very clearly the uh, former NFL coach and also CFL coach, uh, Bud Grant. His NFL coaching experience was with the Minnesota Vikings, who, by the way, are doing very well this year. And his CFL team was the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, as I recall. And here's what he said to his players. When you score a touchdown, you have two choices. You can either hand the ball to the nearest official and jog to the bench, or you can just put the ball down onto the turf and jog to the bench. Make it look like you've been there before and you're coming back real soon. I know things are different, and in, in the NFL, I just kind of shake my head. The, the players actually choreograph, uh, I think, very childish uh, routines to celebrate uh, their performance. And, and I do understand how important that is to feel good about what you've done. But again, I like that long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. I'm so concerned about the message that it sends. We are in the last stages of the, uh, the, the World Cup of football, i.e. soccer. And, of course, we had high hopes for our Canadian team. And I just have a world of respect for Coach John Herdman, but he made a mistake. Uh, in the game prior to Croatia, which was a really critical one for Team Canada, he made some comments about uh, the Croatian soccer program. I'm not sure what his motivation was for making the comments, but inadvertently or perhaps uh, purposefully, he provided bulletin board material for the Croatians, and it was pretty obvious that uh, a very talented team to start with, but they had extra incentive and I know he, he regrets that. And, I mean, coaches, hey, we make mistakes as well. So, you know, when, when you react to what happens on the ice, be very careful how you respond to it because you could be providing that extra incentive to your opponent. And that's not something that you want to do. Once again, thank you very much for joining me here in Sydney, British Columbia, supernatural British Columbia. I hope you have uh, enjoyed uh, my thoughts today about performance and communication. And once again, I want to thank my friend, my mentor, uh, Jim Waite, one of the first guests that I interviewed on a Pain in the Glass podcast. So wherever you are, and I understand that there are some weather issues that are going to envelop much of the North American continent this weekend, well, perhaps even where I am on Vancouver Island. So as we approach the holidays, uh, I know it's a busy time for everyone, so stay safe, and of course, good curling, and think only those happy thoughts.